We are, we're in this ser- series called The Pursuit of Godliness, and this morning I get to th- preach about purity, which who doesn't like talking about purity? Um, that's like, everyone's like, Wah, like it's the worst. But we're going to get after it because purity is super important. Purity, when we're thinking about this pursuit of godliness, the movement towards godliness, becoming more and more like Christ, becoming transformed into the image of Christ, purity has to be one of those things that we wrestle with. The way in which we live the way in which we behave actually matters. It's informed by the goodness of who God is, by his grace and mercy, but it actually at some point has to impact the way that we live. And when it does, that's really when God can use us for his glory. And so last week, Jeff talked about this idea, the pursuit of godliness. It says this, that's becoming more and more devoted to God and a transformed life that is more and more the us that we are made to be. And I love this definition because it's such, um, you know, movement language. We don't arrive at being pure one day. We're becoming more and more devoted to God. Like we don't just, we're not devoted to God. We become more and more devoted to God. And our life isn't just fully transformed, but we are becoming transformed as we move more and more into this us that we are made to be. And in this idea of this pursuit of godliness, we have to recognize that this idea of becoming more and more and more like Christ at some point means that our life, our actions our lifestyle has to mimic Christ. And no one likes this, uh, this uh, topic at all because we all know, we, you know our own frailty. We all know our sin. We all know our brokenness. We hate hypocrisy and judgmentalism. We don't want to be people like, look at how great I am. And so we have to take all that weird baggage and kind of set it aside and try to recognize that Christ is inviting us into a deeper level, a more mature level, um, not to gain points in our church, but to be more and more useful to the kingdom of God. Um, so I have a question for you. Have any of you guys ever heard of LARPing? Do you know what LARPing is? Yeah, live action role play. It's a, it's a game changer. And, um, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's, very, there's fewer and fewer uh, people that we can kind of tease in our culture, but I feel like LARPers might be the last group that we can go. There's something not quite right with them. And, um, and I had some Ren Fair people conf- conf- uh, confront me after the first gathering. So I, I get it. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on shaky ground right now, but... Really what LARPing is, right, it's people who, they have this idea and, uh, you know, they, they like, when you have like little kids and they like putting on their you know, Batman outfit and they like, you know, and they want to like play superhero, like that's so cute. But these are like adults who are like, why does that have to end with, with being an adult? I'm an adult and I want to like have a foam sword and have a clan and, uh, and have a princesses and a guild. And I mean, I don't know, it's, I don't get it, but I've seen it. I've, at least I've seen a movie that was funny about it. But what's interesting about LARPing is it's, I think it's, humorous, at least to me, because what it is, it's, it's adults who should be adults, who should be mature, but are behaving like children. Now, as children, like, there's imagination and there's play, and that's really great, but it's, that play is supposed to move us to becoming real-life noble people who do real-life noble things. And when you're, when you're an adult doing play things, you're, you're, like, you're conceding the best part about being an adult, which you actually have agency and power and resources to do these things. And so... If you're a LARPer, you know, God bless you. And that's great. But I, I think it's interesting because I think as Christians, we, we're people who, who love that God loves us. We love that God forgives us. We love that God has transformed us and heals us, wants to comfort us and be close to us. And that is so good. But as we're going to see in Scripture, that's, that's this picture of, of being a baby, of being a child in Christ. When we learn and know those things, that's what being a child is. And there's nothing wrong with being a child. But the invitation is to not just embrace being the childhood things of faith, but to take on the maturing things of faith, 
the adulting things of faith. And, um, and so what we're going to take a look at this morning is this idea that Jesus is inviting us in to be mature followers of him. To, to not just be people who eat, drink milk, but to eat solid food so we can be changed for him. So if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to take a look at, I think, one of the most uh, challenging passages of Scripture. But why not? It's church, so we'll get after it. So Hebrews chapter 5, it says this. We have much to say about this. Now I'm going to come back to this in a second, because as you can tell, this is right in the middle, right? We have much to say about this. About what? I'm halfway through chapter 5, which means there's five, uh, four and a half, five chapters of all this stuff that's being said. But I'll get to it in a second. We have much to say about this. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. So the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, we're about ready to get real. We're going to talk about some really hard stuff. In fact, there's so much more I want to talk to you, but you've given up trying to understand. You've given up just like getting your brain around this thing. I don't know about you, but I hate accounting. I hate accounting. And um, I, my whole life in Marine Covenant was to spend more money than we had and then to get in trouble. That used to be my life. And now I'm in charge of like the accounting of our church. It's horrifying. You should be horrified. Pray for me. <laughs> so Neil Erickson is our assistant financial officer. He's a brilliant accountant. And he's like helping our church get all of our finances in line. And I, I say, Neil, come to my office and talk to me. And he comes and I said, Neil, you teach me what I need to know about this accounting thing. Just tell me what's up. He's like, well, do you have like four years? I'm like, oh, come on, for real, QuickBooks, I'm ready. And he's like, no, seriously, like I went to college to learn how to do this. I've done this for 40 years after college. Like, are you even ready for this? I'm like, no, I'm not. Right? We have so much to say about this. And I'm like, I'm like okay, I'm out. I don't even try to understand. But that's what we do spiritually. The, the, the author says, I have so much to teach you about this, but you're not even trying to understand. So in fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. For anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So anyone who lives on milk, not being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And that's where we're going to get to this morning, this idea of how do we get from milk Christians, baby Christians, childhood Christians, to these adult Christians who are adulting, who are eating solid food, who are becoming more and more acquainted with this teaching of righteousness. But first, I, I just was so struck by this passage, because we have so much more to say about this. I'm like, What? Like, I should probably try. What do you have to say about this? And what's interesting, this teaching about righteousness is so compelling because for all of human history, humans have always wrestled with God or with the gods, depending on where you were on the planet. But it was like, we knew that, like all humans knew that there was something above us, some God out there, and we never knew if we were right. Like, how do we become right with God? Do we sacrifice our kids? Do we sacrifice grain? Do we, you know, what are the sacrifices? What are the rituals? What are the things that we need to do? And no one ever really knew. And so everyone lived with this paralyzing fear of, am I okay with God? How am I right with God? And no one ever knew. And what's so incredible about um, the Christian story, what's so incredible about this, the, the Bible with the Torah is that God came to his people and said, listen, I'm going to tell you exactly how, you, how you're doing. 
I'm going to tell you who I am and who you are and how to be in right relationship with me. And the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, clearly outlines that God is a holy God. He is a consuming fire. He is righteous and pure and holy. He's like, yep, you should be afraid afraid of me. In fact, all humans should be scared of God who is righteous and pure and holy. That's true. However, I love you. God says, I love you. You're my people and I long for you to be close to me. And he writes this most compelling book of the Bible. It's almost as compelling as our bylaws. It's the book of Leviticus. And and the book of Leviticus is this compelling book, not to me and not to you. To us, it's like that is the weirdest book in the Bible because we are Christians and we know that Jesus loves us, died for our sins. We have a relationship with God through Christ. But before then, Leviticus was the secret book. It was like the, the, the decoder key of how to be in relationship with God. In Leviticus, God says, listen, there's these rituals. There's these things that I want you to do. And by doing those things, you're going to remember who you are, who I am, and what it means to be my people. And then in Leviticus, he talks about there's this thing called the priesthood. And he establishes these priests who are going to be the people who are going to stand in the gap, stand in the middle between this holy God and these sinful humans. He said, there's going to be these priests and they're going to offer sacrifices. You are, you, if you walk in the presence of God, you're right. You're going to get zapped. You're going to die. It's going to be game over for you. But these priests said, listen, we're going to do these sacrifices and, and we're going to atone for your sins so that we can be in relationship with God. That's incredible. For us, it's not incredible. For them, that was incredible good news. And then they laid out in Leviticus these these ways to live, these purity laws. And in those purity laws, did you know, like Steve said, hey, we're all about social justice. You know where that came from? It came from Leviticus. In the laws of Leviticus, there were laws about justice and how God's people were to interact and to behave and to care for the weakest and the poorest, the foreigner, the alien, um, the orphan, the widow. Like that's in Leviticus. Like that's like so bizarre. Like no culture at the time was even remotely talking about that. That's in Leviticus. So it talks about justice. It talks about how to be in relationship with each other. And then it gives us um, our appropriate boundaries for sexuality. Like that's in Leviticus. Like, it's an incredible book. It's like our bylaws. And, and, he's, and the author saying, listen, I have so much to teach you. I have so much I want to say about this because all those things about Leviticus are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the one who once and for all, because of his death, covers all of our sin. And because all of our sin is covered, all of us have access to the throne room of God. Later on in Hebrews, it says, right, that we now have full access to the throne room of God where we find grace and mercy when we need it. It's incredible good news. For us around the church, we're like, we just drink milk. It's good news, good news, good news. But that is what um, the author of Hebrews is trying to lean into. I have so much more to say about this. I mean, this is like the stuff you could go on forever. And like, if we really wanted to get into it, it's like the author saying, listen, and Jesus is even above the angels. He's above Moses. He's even above the priesthood because he's like Melchizedek. Exactly. You're like, I don't even know who Melchizedek is. Because we're baby Christians. Like, who's Melchizedek? So it's all this stuff that goes and leans into giving the foundation for us to become pure, righteous, adulting followers of Jesus Christ. Now, one quick thing I want to talk to you before I, before I move into the rest of the sermon is all throughout Scripture is it clarifies what sin is. And if we're going to be pure people, we have to recognize what our sin is. And no one likes talking about sin. If you read through the sin list, they're super convicting. All of a sudden you feel like I'm talking to you and you, then you're going to not come back and that'll be awkward. So, but Christians have come up with a way and they said, listen, for thousands of years, Christians have said, we, these are basically the categories of sin, the seven deadly sins. And all of us are wired differently. All of us are broken differently. And therefore all of us have one of these sins that just has a unique root in our life. We have all sorts of sins that we need to be aware of and, and root out, but there's certain sins that just 
cut to the core of who we are and stunt our growth. And God wants to reach in there and do surgery on us. And this movement towards purity, this movement towards maturity means that we need to have space to say, God, have your way with me. Teach me how to root out this sin so I know what's right and wrong. And these are pride and anger, envy, greed, sloth, lust, and gluttony. And one, two, or maybe all seven have a unique grasp on you. And if you want to move towards Christ, boy, you're going to have to contend. You're going to have to wrestle with God. All right. So what I want to do really briefly is I want to give you three reasons why I think purity is important. Because if I'm honest, I don't think purity is important. Purity is like what old people do. It's like what old Christians who no one likes anymore does. Um, Because I'm young. That's how I think about purity. But so I had to figure out, like, well, but purity matters to God and it should matter to us. And so I just want to give you really quickly three reasons why I think purity should matter to us. So if you turn your Bibles to Psalm 24, or thankfully it's up on the screen. It says this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence? Right. That's the question. That's the question Christians, Jewish people, all religious people, all of the world have asked forever. Who can stand in the presence of God? Who can enter uh, the top of Mount Zion, enter into the temple, who can do it? It says, the one who has a clean hand, who, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not trust in the idol or swear by a false god. And I love this idea. The first thing that's important for us to look at is that purity is important because it builds intimacy with God. Purity is the thing that takes away the, the, the challenge in relationship between two people. Right? God is perfect. He's this all-consuming fire, right? If you've ever taken, like when, you, like when you refine gold, right? There's gold, you take it out of the ground, you put it in this really hot fire, and all the impurities kind of burn away. Impurity is what keeps us away from God. Who can enter his presence? Those who are pure. Uh, my wife and I were watching this show called, what's it, A Million Reasons Why, A Million Little Things? And what? A million little things. I don't know. It's, like, it's a great show. It's about midlife people and all their marriages are in trouble and all their kids are chaotic. And, but, you know, there's, it makes me weep and it's a great show. But there's a, in, in, in the midst of all this, there's all these marriages falling apart and, and one uh, gets all the way to the end and then the cliffhanger of the season is they're about ready to come back together. And, um, and, and the couple's like, hey, listen, come back home. And, and the guy's like, yes, I'm going to come back home. But there's a secret that he's been keeping this whole time. This whole time. And, uh, and he's like, we said if we were to come back together, there's no more secrets. And, uh, and so he's about to come home. It's the season finale. There's five minutes left in the episode. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so great. And he says, wait, before I come home, you need to come out to the car. And he comes out to the car and he sits down. And he says, I can't come home because I need to tell you this secret. And then they have to wait till next season to find out what happens. But you know, what ha- you know what's going to happen. It's going to be awful. It's going to be heartbreaking. It's going to be so hard because impurity just destroys relationship. It blows us up. However, purity is what causes intimacy. And what I love about Scripture is not that we need to be perfect people. Scripture is never saying being perfect. It says be pure. And the way we're being pure is that we, we get forgiveness, right? If we want to be, go from imperfect to pure, we say, God, have your way with me. Forgive me. And we move towards God and he transforms us and we are, have an opportunity for a right relationship, right? When I'm in a fight with Katie, we're, we're, we're duking it out. We're, having, we're, we're fighting. We're going our separate ways. When one of us turns and says and humbly asks for forgiveness for the thing that they've done wrong, for the impurity that's caused division, right? Whoa, there's like, there's a chance for reconciliation again. So that's why purity matters. Purity builds our intimacy with God. If you are like, I feel like God is so far away. I feel like I haven't been close to God forever. 
there's probably a good chance there's some stuff in your life that you've just gotten comfortable with that you're just not dealing with because God loves you and that's great. But intimacy needs purity. That's one. The second is this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, In a large house there's articles not only of gold and silver, but of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy. Even more importantly, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. And that's really the dream, right? We want to be people who can be used by God. No one wants to be purposeless. In fact, having no purpose is one of the things that causes like the most amount of depression to be like, what am I even doing with my life? And we all know what that's like. We all have things in our life that are for common purposes. And then when important family or friends come over, right, there's a certain way in which you set the table because you know this is for them. This is a special thing. This is time for their special use. These dishes are for special people. And that happens in us too. And, and it's weird because there's a, a small difference from having something that's common to being something that's useful is simply doing the work of purity, of learning how to be godly. Um, a few years ago, I bought a Jeep because my dad didn't teach me how to use tools and I was in my 40s and I feel like I should probably learn how to use tools. And so I bought some screwdrivers and wrenches and a Jeep and I said, I'm ready to go. And I looked at this Jeep that had all the wiring and all sorts of problems. And I'm like, I'm lost. So I called my friend Jake Stark. I said, Jake, come on over and help me. He's like, sure, no problem. He comes over and helps me. And uh, this is what it looked like for the first like three months of us helping out. I would take a screwdriver and I'd hold it. And Jake would do all sorts of Hey, hand me the screwdriver. All right, here you go. <laughs> hand me the wrench. Here you go. Hand me stuff I don't even know the names of. Okay. Right? And, and, and it's, but very, very soon, right, we have this conversation where Jake's like, what are you doing? Did you buy this Jeep so I could build it for you? Or did you buy this Jeep so you can learn how to do this thing? I'm like, but I don't know what I'm doing. It's embarrassing to sit with somebody to not know what a wrench does to, like, it's embarrassing. So, to go from purposeless and useless to purposeful meant that I had to overcome my pride. I had to sit in there and to work at it and to work with him before long to three years later. Like I could take apart an axle and put it back together myself. Not quite safely, but I could still at least do it. <laughs> but that's what God's calling us to do. He says, I have made you for this purpose. I've made you to do these things. But the only way you're going to be able to do those things is you have to do the work. You have to lean into purity to become noble, godly, mature, adulting Christians. And when you become those things, when you're on the process of becoming those things, then you can be used by God for his goodness and for his good works. And it's humiliating and it's embarrassing to be an adult and to think you should know these things when you don't and have to go back and relearn them. But that is the invitation that God has for us. So purity um, allows us to have, be intimate with God. Purity allows us to be used by God. And lastly, um, purity um, helps guarantee our legacy. So here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says this, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and that fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what, was been, is what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if what was uh, burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though one has escaping through the flames. When I was a young Christian, I loved this passage of scripture because I had a really hard time getting my, my life in order. Um, I loved God. I wanted to be noble, but uh, you know, being 19, that's hard to, that was hard to do. And, um, and I love this passage because the, the basic picture is this, that, that, that Paul lays this foundation that when we become Christians, we have this foundation, this, this, 
this immovable foundation that's built on Christ, right? We're saved because of Christ's righteousness, not our own. I'm like, yes. So if I keep trying to build stuff on top of that, that's garbage, that all is going to get wiped away. But I'm like, oh, but at least I'm going to make it through because my foundation is pure. But for most of us, especially in adults, we don't want to just survive. Surviving, that's what kids do. The kids survive. Adults, we, we, you become an adult when you realize that your life is not just for your own, that your life is for those around you and for those after you, about building legacy. And this picture that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians is that on this foundation, we have the opportunity to build a house out of gold and silver, things that a fire has, will not touch at all, or, weigh, or, or hay or straw, which will be consumed. And the invitation is, if we grow in our purity, if we grow in our adulthood, if we mature, then the things that we do are going to last and make, be incredible, not just in this life, but in the life to come. I love these pictures of, of these ruins because those, those, those things have been around way longer than those nice little cookie cutter houses that we live in suburbia, right? Those things, that's forever. The amount of effort that those people made to build those things, it's, it lasts. And that's what adults do. I think of, like I said, you can tell I'm so jacked about these bylaws coming up um, pretty soon. Um, but it is like we're changing a couple things that are, that are significant. And last week we had an open house and Jean and Ann Sage came and sat with us. And Jean and Ann Sage, they're the old veteran pillars of our church. And if you asked them and said, man, you guys are so pure and righteous, they'd be like, no, we're not. Because they know that they're not. But for decades, they have been working out their faith. They've been working out their faith in such a way, in humility and in intention, that they have this weight around our church. What they say really matters. And when they came to our town hall and they sat around the table and they brought out these concerns, we didn't just blow them off like Yahoo's. Like, you don't know. You're just old. You probably can't hear right. We didn't say that. We're like, Gene, tell me more. What do you say? Like, like we all leaned in and wanted to know because his legacy of following Christ, of investing in this community means when he says something is worthy for us to listen. Um, I love Greg. Um, I can't believe he's going to retire in six weeks. Can you believe that? He's going to move on to greener pastures, literally. But Greg, if, if you ask Brenda, she'd be like, he is not pure. That man sins. <laughs> However, he knows it. And he wrestles with God and he knows that pride is a sin that is deep in him and that God has to root out. And he wrestles with God and he eats solid food. And because of that, I mean, you have to know how bizarre it is for a baby boomer machismo Italian to give up leadership never happens. And because he wrestles with God, because he contends with God, he's going to retire in six weeks and we are going to miss him like something fierce. We are going to miss, you know, when he goes, Listen, people, like, we're going to miss it. But our church is going to be awesome and we're going to be fine and we're not going to skip a beat because he died to something inside of him for the legacy of something bigger because he wrestled daily with God for that. If you want to have a legacy that's bigger than you, you want a legacy for your kids, for your family, for the kingdom of God, that only happens when we lean into God, when we mature, when we take on the solid food of righteousness, of knowing good from evil. It's totally an unsexy thing to say. No one likes it. You're not going to get any, any points in, in any of your friendship circles. But that's not what God's inviting us to. He's calling us to be adults so that we can have intimacy with God, that we can be used by God, and we can have this legacy. So I have this thing I want to share with you, and this is where it's going to be kind of hard, but I'd like to encourage us that it might be time to grow up a bit. And no one wants to hear that. And some of us come from different sorts of church baggage, but you seem to understand there was a time when purity meant 
don't drink, don't smoke, don't play cards, don't go to the movies, and bring the best casserole to potluck, then you're pure. And purity was a way to kind of gain status in the church world, in the church community. But let's be honest, we live in a context where that doesn't matter. In fact, we live in a context where no one cares about sin, no one cares about impurity. And so this invitation to grow up is not at all so that you can be a better Marine Covenant person. Here at Marine Covenant, if you just want to be on the path, wherever you are on the path and say, I want to move towards Christ and figure this out, no one cares where you are on the path, just that you're on the path. So this invitation to grow up is not as a pastor saying, be good church people. This is an invitation from God himself saying, listen, I have incredible things for you. I want to be intimate with you. I want you to be, I want to be you to use, I want to be used, I want you to be used by me for my kingdom. And I want you to do the things that are going to last not just for decades, but for generations and for all of eternity. That's the invitation that God has for you and for me. And so I want to end my time with offering um, something for you to try this week. So if you have a, um, a bulletin, I encourage you to take it out. You don't have to write on it. You can just pretend because I can't tell if you're writing anything. But just for the sake for humor, me, grab, grab a bulletin or a piece of paper and a pen. And I want to invite you into this practice. Here, here's a way to move from milk to solid food. It's, all these disciplines we're talking about in Lent are all things that are going to move us on that path. But there's this, there's this discipline that, uh, that Christians have been doing forever and ever, and that actually Jewish people have been doing forever. It's a, it's a prayer that actually is rooted in Psalm 139. At the end of Psalm 139, King David prays this prayer, search me, God, test me, know me, see if there's any offensive way in me. And then lead me along this path of everlasting life. This, that is, and what that's called is called the prayer of examine. And so I want to encourage you this week to try this out, to try out this thing called, called the prayer of examine. Now, historically, most Christians, they do this at bedtime, right? They lay in bed and they take a little journal or piece of paper and they reflect on their day. That's what exam, exam is. Right? It's, it's, a way of, it's a prayer of reflecting on your day and seeing where you, God showed up, where you ran from God. Okay, and there's five parts of it. So I'm gonna, you should take a picture of the screen or you can write these five things down, but this is what it looks like. One, you give thanks. You give thanks, right? You begin your prayer with a posture that God is bigger than you. He's outside of you. He's the one who bestows blessings and gifts and grace on you. You like to start articulating the things that you're thankful for, right? Those are the things that are gonna tune your heart to the things of God. There's, there's time for complaining later, but when we, when we begin our prayers with giving thanks, it tunes our whole posture towards God. One, to give thanks. Two, that we want to invite the Holy Spirit to be part of this prayer. Now, let's be honest. The Holy Spirit's invisible. We can't see him. We can't hear him. Some people say they experience him or say the Lord said, but for most of us, like, it's, what does that even mean? But instead of going, what does that even mean? I'm out. Let's see it this way, that God's inviting us to adult. God is inviting us to mature. God's inviting us to take this mysterious thing about listening to the Holy Spirit and leaning into trying to take on what that means and how to, and how to tune our hearts that way. So if you're an expert at it or you're brand new, there's part of that prayer saying, okay, Holy Spirit, reveal to me, convict me, heal me, transform me. It's an interaction with the Holy Spirit. Then you review your day and recognize your failures and sin. No one likes to do this, but this is so important. We have to sit and we think about, man, when I woke up and I was tired and I ripped my kid's face off, or when I showed up at work and my boss asked me if I did this thing and I didn't, but I just lied and I kind of went around it, or I, I, you know, I just ate a little bit too much of my fair share from the, the common food from the fridge, or these are all my issues. You all have different things, but you, know, you think about your different day and throughout the day and think, God, where did I turn away from you? Where did I actually let the flesh of me, my immaturity, take the better, get the better of me. 
and to identify those things. And when we identify those things, then we have this, po- this pocket of impurities that we then get to go to Jesus and do number four, ask for forgiveness and healing. The whole reason why the Christian message is so incredible is because it's not that you have to be perfect, but that you're invited to be pure. We take all these imperfections, we hold them in front of Christ. We say, Christ, please forgive me. And because he's the great high priest, he wipes away all of our sin. He gives us his righteousness and we get to have front row seats into the temple of God to have intimacy with God. And then we pray for wisdom and faithfulness for our next day. And that rhythm, trying it out for a week, the most godly people I know do this really regularly. And it shows. It's the habit of being an adult, mature follower of Christ, of not just eating milk, but eating solid food, being able to distinguish between right and wrong. One last thing. Next to number three, review your day and recognize your failures and sins. I would just take a look at one of these groups of of sins. Pride, anger, envy, greed, sloth, lust, gluttony. Now, I'm sure you've violated all of those at some point. But let's just start with, everyone knows there's one that has a hold on you. Maybe two that has a hold on you. Let's pick the low-hanging fruit first. Ask God to reveal the ways that that has got a hold of you. Ask God to heal you. Ask God to do the surgery in you. And God is going to have an incredible legacy for you. I mean, look at Greg. He is not perfect. But because he wrestles with us day in and day out, we get some of that fruit of his legacy. And God has all that for you and for me. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll wrap it up. If you guys would stand, um, let me pray for us and then we'll end our time with the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, We love you. We thank you that you are so gracious to us. You are such a long-suffering parent. For if we're honest, I I know for me and many of us, we know in our hearts that we should be more mature than we are today. That we've enjoyed LARPing in our faith. We've just enjoyed the milk, your goodness, your grace, your healing, your forgiveness, your presence. Those are all things. Those are the foundational things that we must embrace and know. But God, we pray that you would invite us more and more to mature, to take purity seriously so we can have intimacy with you, that we can be used by you to expand your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And the things that we do, God, would have an impact, not just for us personally, but for our kids, for our family, for our context, for our county, for all of eternity. So I pray that you forgive me, forgive us for being a little lazy in this pursuit, God, but may this Lenten experience, may this week, may we lean into it to be the mature and godly women and men that you long for us to be.